Welcome in, everybody. It is the Wednesday edition of Darkness Radio. That means only one thing. It's time now for Supernatural News and Parashare. I tell you what, we're going to hold back a little bit on Parashare today. There's a reason for that. Unfortunately, you dirty, dirty wrestling fans might have gotten Bruiser sick. I'm just kidding. I love all you wrestling fans as well as you paranormal fans. Uh, Bruiser was out at WrestleCade this past weekend. And unfortunately, although he was very, very busy, he might have caught more than just a little bit of con crud. It seems that there's a bit of a COVID strain going around. He's testing right now. We don't know for sure if he does have COVID or not, but he's definitely under the weather and he has firmly lost his voice. So in this time of need, we reach out. It sounds like a Michael Jackson song. We reach out and she'll be there. Uh, we grab the co-hostess with the mostess. Here she is. Mally Fox. Mally. Yes. You are literally our superwoman. <laughs> well, I'm just happy you asked me to be on, so. Well, you're... you're uh, it's always a pleasure. You're always the, the uh, top of the mind. That, that's, <laughs> that you're always, uh, you're always our, our first choice. So uh, I, I greatly appreciate you being able to fill in, especially very last minute, because uh, oh. it was... And it was very last minute. It was, yeah. <laughs> I know when I looked at the time, I'm like, oh, I got an hour. Put a load in. And, we'll <laughs> <laughs> and then that uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, I yeah. didn't I didn't give you much. <laughs> okay. Didn't give you much notice at all. And I yeah. apologize for that. Put up the laptop that I haven't used for a while. It's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like doing all these updates. I'm like, come on, let's go. <laughs> yeah, it, it was uh, it was short notice. And I appreciate that. But uh, oh, my pleasure. It's it's one of those one of those days. That's for sure. <laughs> Uh, big show though today, uh, as we as we get into potentially the end of the earth as we know it, Mally. Okay. Uh, we, we've got one of those deals going on. Uh-huh. Um, we'll explore Uranus. I know a lot of listeners <laughs> are looking forward to that. Yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> Everyone's looking forward to exploring Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you one of these. Um, <laughs> we've also got. Uh, some AI talk. AI is back this week. Uh, I know a few people missed it last week. They mentioned uh, it just wasn't the same show out. without AI. Um, by the way, do you have a Roomba there at the house? I do. I call her Fortune. Yours is called Fortune. Mine's called yeah. John Connor. Although he's <laughs> completely clueless and just wanders around the house and vacuums one strip. Oh, does it? And follows me I around. Was- Follows me I around was, on my knee caddy. That's all. Oh, it does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always lose mine. Like really? I hear like the noise that it's stuck somewhere and then I have to start looking everywhere. It's usually caught on wires underneath a dresser or something. But I'm like, son of a biscuit. You're going to love this story then today because this Roomba is absolutely clueless. So we'll talk about that in the AI section. We're also going to talk haunted dolls today. Ooh. Yeah, we've got a couple of interesting haunted doll story, including one from World War II. Oh, okay. Got one Bigfoot story today, and uh, we'll check in with Ziggy's picks, even though Bruiser isn't here today. Mally, I'm going to just lead it off with this. One of the psychic pups today uh-huh. came in with a 14-2 and two record over the weekend. That's right. The dog picked 14 games correctly. Wow. Only two incorrectly. Okay. It's an amazing, That's impressive. It's an amazing story. So we'll, we'll review Ziggy's picture real quick. You can, by the way, go to darknessradioshow.com and pick, or, uh, click on Ziggy's picks. 
and see the entire uh, spread for yourself as to who did what over the weekend. So there's that there. But let's start it off today by talking about the end of the world as we know it. We feel fine, Mally. Um, we've heard it before, but this one may be a little bit different. And it has to do with a lost asteroid, which is on a potential collision course with Earth. Of course, we have to thank our lovely listeners for this story, Mally. Um, there's a lot to mention this week. Uh, are the usual suspects. I have to thank first uh, Kiriaki, who is a, uh, a new listener sending in stories. We didn't use any of uh, we didn't use any of her stories this week. Um, there was some good ones though. There was one about uh, savage pigs out of Canada. Oh, um, I would have used that one with you this week, but we have too much material. Um, <laughs> I know uh, savage pigs out of out of uh, Canada reminds you of that girl. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> see what I did there. <laughs> But uh, I digress. That's good. I know. Thank you. Um, but uh, there's also a, another story out of Canada. We'll probably save those for next week. But th there's just so much that was going on this week. Uh, this one, uh, and Matt and uh, and Tom, and, and I know all the names are escaping me. I'm getting old, folks. It just happens with the old age. Um, but uh, I w I'd like to mention all the names here, but we'll get to them eventually here throughout the program. Uh, this one from one of our lovely listeners, a lost asteroid is on a potential collision course with Earth. That's right. You think, oh, yeah, we hear about this all the time. Of course, Tim, there's asteroids flying at the Earth all the time. We're always in a collision course with something. We're in a, gi a giant pinball machine. Well, not necessarily. NASA is warning that a lost asteroid could be on a collision course with Earth next year. The asteroid 2007 FT3 was first discovered by astronomers in 2007. However, it quickly disappeared from their view less than two days later. Uh-oh, Mel. You know what that means. That means that NASA doesn't always have its eye on the ball. Uh-oh. Yeah. The asteroid has a diameter of 0.21 miles and weighs less than approximately 54 million tons. <laughs> 50. It's a heavy one. So 0.21 miles... So it's two-tenths of a mile, and it's mm -hmm. 54 million tons. Holy cow. I, I think it needs to stop eating. That's what it needs to do. Uh, according to NASA's Center for Near-Earth Object Studies, 2007 FT3 has a 1 in 11.5 million chance of striking Earth. I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it should strike Earth on October 5th, 2024, if it is going to hit us. If it does hit Earth, Mal, it will unleash a force equal to 2.6 billion tons of TNT. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's a little scary. Yeah. Well, that is enough to cause widespread regional devastation. It's not enough to destroy the planet, so we can relax a little. The asteroid will take another, or rather make another pass in 2030, when it has a 1 in 10 million chance of colliding with the Earth, odds get a little better in 2030. Uh, CNEOS is currently tracking the orbits of more than, get this, Mally, 32,000 near-Earth asteroids. We have a good chance of being hit. Try to sleep well tonight, by the way. Exactly. And more than 120 comets that could impact the Earth at some point in the future. We got a good chance of being hit, Mel. That's, that's mm. all I'm saying. So, you know, nighty night. That's all I can say as, as far as that <laughs> I goes. I think of all those those movies where they, 
you know, it's the end of the world and they always send up astronauts to shoot the asteroid and <laughs> Armageddon. That's that's the yes, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's the that's the movie <laughs> in that deal. Well, now they're they're just shooting rockets. If if they can if they can time it well enough, they'll shoot a rocket up there and they'll bump it to the side. Um, someday they'll have a friggin' laser uh, that will be able to, you know, and blow it up. It'll be like a big Star Wars game. I don't know. I'm just speculating, but I just think that someday we'll have technology that will be able to do that. But eh, you never know. Well, you would hope. You would hope, yeah. You would hope we'd be able to, long after we're gone, we'll be able to blow these things up before they even get close. Speaking of long after we're gone and technology that will be able to uh, see things far, far away, the James Webb Telescope is showing us more and more impressive stuff out there. Uh, it's detected unexplained structures in the heart of our galaxy that they've described as beautiful and mysterious. NASA has unveiled a spectacular new image of the Milky Way taken by the James Webb Space Telescope, showing ever greater detail of a region close to the nucleus of our home galaxy replete with what the space agency is calling needle-like unexplained structures that have scientists intrigued and puzzled. The James Webb Space Telescope, a powerful infrared instrument, was able to take a detailed snapshot of Sagittarius C, which I believe is a disease on the edge of the galaxy. <laughs> is that something else you can uh, get from, what do you call it, concrud? Yes, yes. It's it's a <laughs> close cousin to Con crud, Sagittarius C. I think you have to take shots for that if I remember right. Uh, it's a central region in the Milky Way where stars are born and which is about 300 years, or light years rather, away from the gargantuan black hole that makes up the central hub of our galaxy. Isn't that comforting that there's a gargantuan black hole in the center of our galaxy? <laughs> is it near Uranus? Yes. Yes, it is, Mally. <laughs> Oh, my. Uh, the image contains an estimated 500,000 twinkly stars plus a cluster of protostars, um, which are unlike paranormal stars who do nothing but whine all day. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, emerging from dense, dark clouds of dust and gas, protostars are baby stars, <laughs> much like paranormal stars. <laughs> Uh, gaining. There's so many things I could say, but I'm not going to. I like to keep my friends. <laughs> sure, I know. I, I'm just having some fun here. Uh, protostars are baby stars gaining mass before they become full-fledged stars. In addition to the stars, the telescope revealed feathery, feathery wisps, which is hard to say 10 times fast, believed to be emissions from ionized hydrogen and colored as cyan and image. Usually these wisps are the product of massive stars belching out excited photons. Have you ever belched out an excited photon, Mally? Yeah. <laughs> no, I have not. I think I, I did. I should put it on my list for things to try. <laughs> That's right. I think I did in college. It was just a just a party trick, if I remember. Uh -huh. right. Yeah. Uh, which ionized surrounding hydrogen gas. Um now, you've done the hydrogen gas thing, though, haven't yes, you? I, yes, I have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did it once at an ice bar in Norway. Uh, within these wisps, scientists are puzzled by the existence of streaky, needle-shaped structures that are randomly assorted throughout the ionized hydrogen. 
Uh, scientists don't know what they are and are determined to plumb for more data in order to find out. You know what happens when they stick their thumb into a black hole and pull out a plum? <laughs> they say, what a good boy am I? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's a little bit more to the story, but essentially they, they ended with this quote, Mally. They said the galactic center is a crowded and tumultuous place said, oh boy, are you ready for this one? The name of this place is Instituto Astrofisica, oh my gosh, de Andalusia. Sounds like a pasta dish. Exactly. Uh, the researcher and co-investigator Ruben Fedriani said, there are turbulent magnetized gas clouds that are forming stars which then impact the surrounding gas with their outflowing winds, jets, and radiation. This sounds like a story we're about to read. Uh, <laughs> Webb has provided us with a ton of data on this extreme environment, and we are just starting to dig into it. I almost think I should go to this next story as a, as a uh, lead into that. I think Do I it. will. Do it. Do it. Do it. This comes to us from, from a listener of ours. I believe this came from... Is this Matt that this came from? Yes, it was Matt, Matt Smith. Matt sends us this story, which leads beautifully in from the last story, that scientists simulate what it's like to dive into Uranus. Oh. <clears throat> and it is quite the journey, Mally. Oh, I'm sure it is. <laughs> it says here that the ice giants, Uranus and Neptune, it's only chilly if you don't put on drawers. <clears throat> Just saying, are shrouded in a frosty and swirling atmosphere of largely hydrogen and helium. And neither planet features a solid surface, which complicates our efforts to explore them. <laughs> hmm. In fact, they're the two planets that have yet to be directly explored by any type of human-made spacecraft. Suspected liquid oceans are buried beneath thick layers of surface clouds, greatly obscuring their cores from our view. But it's nonetheless possible to send uh, an atmospheric probe careening through their atmospheres in an effort to get a better idea of their composition. Have, uh, have you ever had Uranus probed? <laughs> I know you're supposed to after 50, but <laughs> I haven't done it yet. <laughs> it's really hard when they, they bury them you up before the probe. Just saying. <laughs> Uh, though getting a probe through these clouds at blistering speeds and having it live long enough to send back valuable data will require plenty of ingenuity. Especially when the doctor tells you you're tighter than usual. <laughs> Just saying thanks, Dr. Katz. He also told me I'd never survive in prison for very long. To get a better idea of what it takes to send a probe through Uranus and Neptune's atmospheres, an international team of researchers recently simulated such a mission inside Oxford University's hypersonic plasma tunnel. That's right, they have one, Mal. <laughs> hmm. <clears throat> yep. Reaching simulated velocities of 11.8 miles per second. <gasps> oh, that's fast. <laughs> it's done before you know it. That's right. Yes, it is. <laughs> Video show simulated probe being pummeled by gases. How? Found in both Uranus and Neptune's atmospheres. 
The tunnel is capable of measuring both convection and radiative heat flux. I almost said beat flux, which would really hurt. And critically provide the required flow speeds for the replication of ice giant entry. You ever been Ugh. entered by an ice giant back there? <laughs> <laughs> With uh, traces of methane, explained ESA aerothermodynamics engineer Lewis Walpott in an August statement. He said it in August because it would help warm me up. I don't know what that means. Uh, despite the blistering speed, uh, they still fell short of the velocities required for these probes to actually make it very far. Thank God. A probe would need an inertial velocity of at least 15.5 miles per second. Hmm. That's, that's a little fast for me. You might want to slower down there, Speedy. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take it easy on the hammering of Uranus. Uh. The challenge is that any probe would be subject to high pressures and temperatures and therefore would require a high-performance thermal protection system to endure its atmospheric entry for a useful amount of time. Said Walpott in his latest statement while smirking slyly. To begin designing such a system, we need first to adapt current European testing facilities in order to reproduce the atmospheric compositions and velocities involved. And you know why they do it in Europe, Mally? Why? Because it's more acceptable. <laughs> Fortunately, obvious jokes aside, it says here, which we've been telling yeah. throughout the entire story, there's growing momentum behind our efforts to probe Uranus and Neptune. <laughs> Why would they tell the joke then? <laughs> All I know is my IQ went down a couple points here. <laughs> it did, yeah. Since we started this story. Yeah, yeah mine is too. Uh, <laughs> earlier this year, NASA astrophysicist Kathleen Mant called for the space agency to develop an exploratory probe to investigate the mysteries of the Uranus system. <laughs> I bet you she did. Mm. Mm. She's kind of wanting it. I'm just saying, I mean, I, not like that, but, you know, I'm not be, in a creepy way, but, uh -huh. you know, like in a, you know, wanting to explore type way. She's she's okay. very curious about Uranus. I mean, her anus. I mean, their anus. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm just fumbling now. The 2023 20 to 2032 Planetary Science Decadal Survey a publication produced by the U.S. National Research Council that identifies key questions for future planetary exploration efforts chose NASA's proposed Uranus orbiter and probe mission as a high priority. I did not make that up. <laughs> but developing a probe that can survive the plunge into the two planets' icy atmospheres will be anything but easy, even with widespread support and funding, Mally. Oh, my, they wrote that? They did write that. That is that is not one <laughs> wow. I made up. That, that sounds like something we would say, though. That's why I'm surprised. Yeah, you, that is not off the cuff. That is actually on the page. Wow. And that's how we'll end that story. <laughs> and finally, before we go to break, British Airways pilot has spotted dogs, UFOs, and even an unexplained white orb flying at 30,000 feet. I mean, not all of them at the same time outside the plane. I was trying to picture dog. I'm like, what? Yes, a flying dog. It was underdog um, outside the plane. No, uh, during, his <laughs> during his air career, as well as visiting almost every country 
in the world, the experienced captain has seen some incredible sights from his cockpit. Now we're talking cockpits after hearing this. <laughs> uh, including an unexplained glowing orb and a UFO. A UFO, strange glowing orbs, and a dog are just a few of the few... Or few <laughs> listen to me. I'm stumbling now, Mel. Uh, are just a few of the bizarre things a British Airways pilot has encountered while cruising at 30,000 feet above sea level. The experienced captain from Cumbria has been flying commercial airliners for 18 years, and during that time has built up thousands of air miles. He currently flies BA's most modern airliner, the Airbus A350-1000. During his career, as well as visiting almost every country in the world, the pilot has seen some incredible sights from his cockpit, I bet he has. Uh, these include the Northern Lights, a phenomenon known as a Brocken Spectre. A Brocken Spectre? That sounds like something we played in band. Yeah. <laughs> and just last week, a cloud with an uncanny resemblance to a dog. Also, oh, okay. I see where the dog's coming in now. So it was a okay. cloud. Yeah. I was trying to figure this out. I'm like, okay, how? All right, got it. Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> he said as the pilot was flying from Sao Paulo in Brazil to London Heathrow, he clocked an unusual cloud while passing over Brasilia. I often see images of people or animals in clouds, but by the time I've got my camera out, we've passed them. Should the pilot be pulling out a camera? Mm. I mean, I know there's autopilot, but... Right. I mean, come on. But, hey, in our state, we're not even allowed to hold our phone while driving our car. Right. We're hands-free, so if yeah. that's our car, they should be have the same rules for exactly. the sky. I'm right there with you. I've seen clouds like flying saucers, but the most impressive thing we see regularly is the shadow of the plane in the cloud with a rainbow around the nose called a Brock Inspector. Uh, this happens when the sun is on one side of the aircraft and the cloud is on the other side below the aircraft, often with blue sky above. The specter is a shadowy image of the aircraft and the glow and rings are a glory-centered direct... <laughs> I almost said something else. Are a, <laughs> are a glory centered directly opposite the sun at the anti-solar point. We often see these on days where there is a low stratus cloud and sunshine above. He told Lanks Live, lenticular clouds like the one that look like a UFO are often formed by a mountain waves or air in a stable layer passing over mountains that continue in a kind of SIN wave pattern or a SIN wave pattern downwind. Uh, cloud forms when the temperature and dew point are equal on a particular layer or altitude and a cloud that is continuously forming and disappears appears. It looks like the cloud is stationary from the ground. Oh, so that isn't necessarily a UFO. However, he says over the years, many people have confused these clouds for UFOs. And I've been flying aircraft for over 30 years and commercially for 18. And I've seen many strange cloud shapes. So he's saying they're not necessarily UFOs. Hmm. You, have you seen a UFO cloud, Mel? Uh, not really, no. Now, see, I have. And well, like a picture or actually in person? In person. And one that okay. followed us from the Las Vegas airport all the way up to the Goldfield Hotel. Oh, wow. All the way up alongside. In fact, we were driving along Area 51. Uh -huh. And it followed us the entire way. So other people saw it as well? Yes. Myself and the former host of the show. 
Oh. We were driving up to the Goldfield Hotel, mm-hmm. and the thing followed us on the passenger side of the vehicle. So wow. I don't know that I buy that that's just a cloud. Right. Yeah. Uh, he says, I'd say the most common clouds that stand out are the ones that look like giant teddies or strange-looking faces resembling old men or witches. There are cumulus clouds that often go on to grow into cumulonimbus clouds. That's a hard word to say. CBs, we call them. That's easier to say. Yeah. Uh, which are what cause most thunderstorms. As a pilot, the one thing we always try to avoid are cumulonimbus clouds uh, flying through one can cause damage to the aircraft as they nearly always contain hailstones. Well, thank oh. God you avoid them. Yeah. Uh, planes have had windscreens cracked and radomes broken by hail. So they always get, so they're always best given a wide berth, in other words, to go around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the subject of thunderstorms, the pilot also revealed a sure sign a plane is about to be hit by lightning. Yikes. Something modern aircraft are designed to withstand. When we fly near to thunderstorms, we get a phenomenon called St. Elmo's Fire. Uh, horrible movie, but great soundtrack. Just saying. I like the movie. <laughs> I knew I'd get you there. <laughs> um, I like those kind of movies. Um, they're dated. Put it yeah, they're very dated, yes. Yeah, yeah. But still, you know. Another one that I don't think holds up very well. I'm going to get so much email uh, on this. Okay. Is this another John? Is this a John Hughes film? Yes. Which one? 16 Candles. I watched I it. I like <laughs> Watched it the other day thinking that, you know, I'm looking at, looking at it through teenage eyes. Yeah. And and I I watched it again the other day. Uh, uh-huh. It wasn't funny. Mm. Now, granted, I haven't watched these movies for a long time, mm-hmm. but I mean, I used to watch them all the time back in the 80s and 90s. Yep. Now, back then, I thought they were hysterical. Yeah. I watch it now and I go, oh, God, I laughed at that. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I've been exposed to too much Kevin Hart. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> That's just me. Well, let's take our break, Mal. When we come back, Elon Musk is opening his big maw again. This time about the open AI chief scientist, Ilya Sutskiver. Yeah. Um, and Sam Altman. And we'll talk about that as to why he jumped ship. Elon has an interesting theory as to why. We'll also talk about a runaway Roomba in the AI section. <laughs> And why Roomba isn't good for you. Um, Also, Haunted Dolls coming up. We'll talk about Bigfoot. And we'll talk Ziggy's Picks. It's all coming up after the break. You're listening to Supernatural News and Parashare here on a Supernatural News Wednesday on the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. Welcome back to the Best in Paranormal Podcasting. This is Darkness Radio on a Supernatural News Wednesday. It's Timmy and Mally. I know you're expecting me to say, Burler and a burler! But it, <laughs> nope, it's not. It's Timmy and Mally. Uh, Sorry, br- people. <laughs> Mally's like, die, people. 
Uh, it uh, cruiser, uh, cruiser. That's me. Uh, Bruiser's out uh, ill today. He'll be back next week. That's right, you dirty wrestling fans. Got him sick. No, I'm kidding. I'm just uh, just having a little bit of fun with you. That's all. Just a little bit of fun, folks. Relax, relax, relax. It's a time of the program, Ellie. That time where we we cringe a little. Our Uranuses pucker a bit. <laughs> we talk about AI. Elon Musk is warning something scared OpenAI chief scientist Ilya Sutskiver as CEO Sam Altman's return fails to answer key questions. Elon Musk, who can't seem to keep his mouth shut to save his life, played a big role in persuading Ilya Sutskiver to open or to join OpenAI as chief scientist in 2015. Now the Tesla CEO wants to know what he saw there that scared him so much. As you know, Elon's not a big AI fan. Mm -hmm. I don't blame him on this one. Right. Sutskiver, who Musk recently described as a good human with a good heart and the linchpin for OpenAI being successful, served on the OpenAI board that fired CEO Sam Altman two Fridays ago. Indeed, Sutskiver uh, informed Altman of his dismissal. Since then, however, the board has been revamped and Altman reinstated, with investors led by Microsoft pushing for the changes. Sutskiver himself backtracked on Monday, writing on X, I deeply regret my participation in the board's actions. I never intended to harm OpenAI. But Musk and other tech elites, including ones who mocked the board for firing Altman, are still curious about what Sutskiver saw. Late on Thursday, venture capitalist Mark Andreessen, who has ridiculed doomers who fear AI's threat to humanity, shout out, (laughs) posted to X, seriously though, what did Ilya see? Musk replied a few hours later, yeah, something scared Ilya enough to want to fire Sam. What was it? That remains a mystery. The board gave only vague reasons for firing Altman. Not much has been revealed since. OpenAI's mission to develop artificial general intelligence, or AGI, it makes sure it benefits all of humanity. Uh, AGI refers to a system that can match humans when faced with an unfamiliar task. OpenAI's unusual corporate structure put a nonprofit board higher than the capped profit company, allowing the board to fire the CEO if, for instance, it felt the commercialization of potentially dangerous AI capabilities was moving at an unsafe speed. Early on Thursday, Reuters reported that several open AI researchers had warned the board in a letter of a new AI that could threaten humanity. Open AI, after being contacted by Reuters, then wrote an internal email acknowledging a project called Q, pronounced Q-Star, which some staffers felt might be a breakthrough in the company's AGI quest. Uh, Q reportedly can ace basic mathematic tests uh, suggesting an ability to reason as opposed to chat GPT's more predictive behavior. Musk has long warned of the potential dangers to humanity uh, from artificial intelligence, though he has also seen its upsides and now offers a chat GPT rival called Grok, which sounds like a really bad soup, uh, though his startup XAI is incorporated through Grok. Uh, he co-founded OpenAI in 2015 and helped lure key talent, including Sutskiver, 
uh, but he left a few years later on a sour note. He later complained that the one-time nonprofit, which he had hoped would serve as a counterweight to Google's AI dominance, had instead become a closed-source maximum profit company effectively controlled by Microsoft. Last weekend, he weighed in on the OpenAI board's decision to fire Altman, writing, given the risk and power of advanced AI, the public should be informed of why the board felt they had to take such a drastic action. When an ex-user suggested there might be a bombshell variable unknown to the public, Musk replied, exactly. Sutskever, however, after backtracking on Monday, responded to the return of Altman by writing on Wednesday, there exists no sentence in any language that conveys how happy I am. Interesting. Ooh, it sounds like he was, what do you call it, strong-armed or whatever, where they, I don't know, they're, they're um, like bullying him to put Sam back on the... I think so. I think you're right. I think you're close on that. I know. One. I'm I'm yeah. saying incomplete sentences. No, no, no. My brain's I, like thinking, but I think that if he originally was part of get him off. Yep. I think something happened where there where he's been threatened or something. So now he's like, okay, let's put him back on. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely <laughs> right on that. We'll move on here. The Pentagon is. Oh, I got to do this. You always got to do this now. We're talking of impending doom here. The Pentagon is moving towards letting AI weapons autonomously decide to kill humans. So it's a fun story. Yeah, I'm going to sleep really well tonight. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Like half our stories are like gloom and doom. <laughs> I don't mean to get all doomy and gloomy. We'll have some happy <laughs> stories eventually. The deployment of AI-controlled drones that can make autonomous decisions about whether to kill human targets is moving closer to reality, according to the New York Times. Lethal autonomous weapons that can select targets using AI are being developed by countries including the U.S., China, and Israel. The use of the so-called killer robots would mark a disturbing development, say critics, handing life-and-death battlefield decisions to machine with no human input. Several governments are lobbying the U.N. for a binding resolution restricting the use of AI killer drones, but the U.S. is among a group of nations, which also includes Russia, Australia, and Israel, who are resisting any such move, favoring a non-binding resolution instead, according to the Times. This is really one of the most significant inflection points to humanity. Alexander Kamet, rather, Austria's chief negotiator on the issue, told the Times, What's the role of human beings in the use of force? It's an absolutely fundamental security issue, a legal issue, and an ethical issue. The Pentagon is working toward deploying swarms of thousands of AI-enabled drones, according to a notice published earlier this year. In a speech in August, U.S. Dep Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks said technology like AI-controlled drone swarms would enable the U.S. to offset China's People's Liberation Army numerical advantage weapon and weapons and people we counter the pla's mass with mass of our own but ours will be harder to plan for harder to hit harder to beat she said frank kendall the air force secretary told the times that ai drones will need to have the capability to make lethal decisions while under human supervision individual decisions versus not doing individual decisions is the difference between winning and losing and you're not going to lose he said that's a scary statement yeah <laughs> i don't think people 
we we would be up against would do that and it would give them a huge advantage if we put that limitation on ourselves the second part of that scary statement uh, the new scientist reported in October that AI-controlled drones have already been deployed on the battlefield by Ukraine. And that is a true statement, by the way. It's been uh, deployed in its fight against the Russian invasion, uh, though it's unclear if any have taken action resulting in human casualties. And actually, there was a story this past week that Russia had deployed uh, drones in Ukraine. Oh, really? Yeah. The Pentagon did not immediately respond to a request for comments on that story. Um, so there you go, Mel. AI-controlled weapons. Ugh. Let's lighten it up a little bit on the AI front. And yes, please. Scare you closer <laughs> to home. <clears throat> a runaway Roomba escapes out the front door. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about Roomba, but... Mine's named John Connor, and it doesn't do a damn thing. <laughs> I named mine after the comedian, Fortune. I forget her last name. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I got it right after I watched her special on Netflix. So <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. A Roomba escaped out of a Georgia. By the way, we got this from one of our listeners as well. I, I don't have the name in front of me. I'm sorry, but I will get it. A Roomba escaped out of a Georgia home's open front door and quickly landed itself in a mess. Hilarious footage of the fleeing Roomba went viral with a TikTok video gaining more than 27 million views. The Roomba's owner, Shelly Betts, said she could not find her vacuum anywhere. We could not find him and we looked under all of our furniture, she said. Unbeknownst to Betts and her family, the Roomba headed out the front door they had left wide open while putting up Christmas decorations. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> We were doing Christmas decorations in and out, and he escaped, Betts said. Two days later, Betts' husband found the vacuum under a bunch of leaves in the front yard. <laughs> God. But the vacuum didn't make it very far at all, maybe 10 yards, Betts said. Oh. Oh, stupid little Roomba. <laughs> have you ever seen the videos where they have, like, a cat in the shark costume sitting on the Roomba, and it's just going around yes. in the kitchen? <laughs> yes. After they found the vacuum, the family looked back at their ring doorbell camera footage and witnessed the Roomba's escape. <laughs> we were all laughing hysterically, Beth said. So was the internet. Images of the Roomba's escape instantly turned into memes. Though the Roomba made a clean getaway, it was left in quite a mess. It still works, but it lost its padding and its brushes, Mal. Oh. Good God. Still, Betts praises the vacuum's ingenuity. He did his job. He did what he was born to do, Betts said. <laughs> Sounds like they buried the damn thing. Yeah. Those things are too expensive for him to be running out the front door, Mal. Well, they they must have like a one level or something because I know mine, when it, when it gets close to steps, it stops. You know what I mean? Well, and the other thing is they must have one of the older models. It doesn't map out the... Uh, doesn't map out the floor oh. you know it just goes yeah. rogue and goes out the you know it just goes wherever <laughs> stupid Roomba that'll that'll end up being the only salvation for humanity Mally is a uh, is stupid technology <laughs> <laughs> they should play um oh who sings on the road again Willie Nelson there we go 
as it's like going on on the road again (laughs) and here it goes off the front step yeah yeah that'd be a funny that'd be a funny little tiktok see you have a new assignment now you need to make the meme for that or the the video for that and put it up on tiktok (laughs) i know someone asked me about an account i'm like yeah and that's just to watch other tiktoks i have not posted a tiktok I have a TikTok that I'm doing uh, just uh, promos for. I, I, oh. I mean, and I, I, I occasionally put up uh, the dogs doing their psychic okay. picks. And um, it's Darkness Radio Tim Dennis, I believe, is what it is. But um, And then I have a Darkness Radio account, too, but I can never remember the login. I should probably remember that because I, I should <laughs> probably put the same promos. Right, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, and uh, occasionally I'll put a video up. I might put up uh-huh. a video of my nephew playing hockey or something. There we go. Yeah, something like that. If I can come up with a crazy video, I will. Maybe me riding on top of a Roomba. There we go. Yeah, I probably. I always cr- like funny videos. I probably. Crush I don't like the serious thing. ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The serious ones are a little. Yeah, I'll have yeah, to come up with something crazy. You'll have to learn how to cry. Have you noticed that? Like when I first started watching TikToks, it was yeah. because they were hilarious with dances, funny stories, all that stuff. And everyone complains. Uh, t- records Karens and then like they cry. They sit there and they just cry in front of the camera. I'm like, oh, good God. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do? You remember the Godly and Cream song, Cry? Uh-uh. Oh, I don't, I, I can't play it. I can't play it here on the air because we don't have an ASCAP license. But um, gotcha. if you ever look up Godly and Cream, uh, C-R-E-M-E, Godly okay. and Cream, Cry, w- the minute okay. you play it, you'll know it. It's a song from the, from the 80s. Okay. Um, You'll go, oh yeah, that song. But you you play you could play Godly and Cream Cry and I'll just have the one teardrop going down my face. <laughs> the, it's like the remember the was it polluting? Like the seventies commercial with the yes. Native American? Yes. And it's the one tear. That's exactly what I'll do. <laughs> it's that, it's it's just me with that one tear and godly and cream cry in the background. It'll be ironic and it'll probably get all of like eleven million hits. That'll be the only video I do that'll get eleven million hits. <laughs> something stupid like that out of all my efforts yeah yeah that's usually how it is it's a stupid video that <laughs> that gets you boosted into the into the tiktok fame people be like oh look at that stupid looking old man who looks like a cabbage patch doll crying it's pretty cool <laughs> uh, i might as well get your 15 minutes of fame that's right that's right gotta do it somehow right yeah, exactly. <laughs> Never mind all the time and effort you put in the previous 20 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, throw all that in the shitter. Um, yep. Yeah. Well, we'll just, uh, it'll be that stupid little old man who looks like a cabbage patch crying on <laughs> with that old 80s tune that nobody remembers. Yep. Yep. Let's move on, Mal. <laughs> okay, doke. Speaking of cabbage patch dolls, let's talk haunted dolls. You want to? Okay, yeah. You ever had a haunted cabbage patch doll? <laughs> I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be the ultimate haunted doll, wouldn't it? Haunted oh, I cabbage. loved my Cabbage Patch dolls. Right. I should have saved them. Do you think there are very many around? Cabbage Patch dolls? The old ones. The old probably ones. Probably not. They're probably in a landfill somewhere. Probably. I mean, I knew they I know they had like newer ones like, like a decade or two ago. Right, they? but not the ones that our parents fought for. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> for Christmas. They have those permanent injuries from from yep, killing exactly. each other in stores, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go back even further as far as old dolls go. Let's go all the way back to World War II. 
Oh, and okay. a terrifying moment where a World War II ventriloquist doll. And I'm going to show you the picture here, Mally, just to get. Well, you... those are just creepy. Look at this one. Oh, that's extremely creepy. And why does it have a chain around it? Uh, to keep it in. Oh, to keep it in the case. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah, that's really creepy yeah. looking. Yeah, we're going to talk about a World War II ventriloquist doll that blinks and moves its mouth. Oh. Yes. Collectibles lover Michael Diamond was given a creepy and haunted doll from the Second World War by a prisoner. When he brought it home, strange things started happening. This is the horrifying moment a creepy doll from World War II blinked and moved its mouth in a family home. Most horror films include those classic creepy dolls who jolt and move their eyes and you wouldn't want to be alone with one at night for 48 year old michael diamond this became his reality when he brought a mr fritz doll from the second world war home and strange things started happening the liverpool man believed the 1940s doll which he was given by a former prison or was which he was given by a former prisoner at a Nazi World War II camp. Oh. Is haunted. I got to think it's haunted. Well, yeah, with all that energy and stuff. Yeah. He began noticing the figurine's glass display cabinet kept swinging open at night. Okay, yeah, no. Yeah. Not doing it. Uh, <laughs> to catch what was happening, Mr. Diamond set up a GoPro camera to film over two evenings. When the father of two watched back through the footage, he saw the cabinet door open and the doll's mouth and eyes moving. Michael said, when I first watched the video back, I had a weird feeling in my stomach. I wasn't completely surprised because what was or what is what has been happening with the door? At least once or twice a week, I noticed the door coming off its latch. I decided to set up the camera for fun just to see if anything would happen. When something actually did, I got a weird feeling in my gut. It's hard to describe. I was really taken back by it, and I did have a strange feeling. Uh, he added, I wouldn't say I'm scared of Mr. Fritz, but I'm wary of it. Mr. Fritz is now locked away in a chained and padlocked cupboard. Mr. Diamond also covered it with a blanket. <laughs> Does he not remember the scene from Poltergeist with the clown covered with the blanket? <laughs> I don't think he does. I don't think he ever saw Poltergeist. No. Uh, Mr. Fritz was given to Mr. Diamond by a local militaria collector, it says here in July, and is and now lives in Mr. Diamond's freak room. Oh, he has a freak room. Oh, Ooh, Mr. Diamond. <laughs> That's what he calls it. Oh, how cheeky. Uh, where all of his collector items are kept. The hobbyist collector is married to 46-year-old Sally and has two children, 19-year-old Amber and 11-year-old Caleb. Oh, he is a freak. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Mr. Diamond is an entertainer and travels the country performing stunts with his museum of, uh, full of collector's items like taxidermy animals, spiritual props, skulls, and ancient weaponry. The creepy doll was made by an American prisoner at Stalag 2B which is a German World War II camp now in the town of Zarn in Poland. Mr. Diamond believes the prisoner uh, worked as a ventriloquist before being taken prisoner. He believes the doll is haunted and now has locked the cabinet in his home with a chain and covered it with a blanket. Like Mally said, not a good idea. 
the doll was apparently taken to America after the end of the war and was owned by an antique shop in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, before it came to the UK. Speaking about the unusual happenings, uh, Michael continued... Uh, the door was being opened once or twice a week, and I knew it was strange. You can see on the first night the door swing open. On the next night, you can see the eyes move before the door opens, and again afterwards. That's creepier, because if it was just a door, I'd be like, okay, maybe it's off kilter a little bit or something. But if you've got the eyes moving before the door opens, okay. <laughs> yeah. He also says the eyes flicker, Mally, and the mouth moves up and down slightly. No, burn it with fire. Uh, My wife and daughter both hate it. Of course they do. I get why people don't like it and think it may be scary, uh, but I'm not intimidated by it. I want to give it a permanent home. I get emotionally attached to my collections. What's the explanation is the $1 million question, isn't it? Oh, no, I think we know what it is. I have no idea myself. I don't even know where to start. There are no open windows in the room and no airflow. The door is on a latch, so it shouldn't swing open. I have told Sally and Amber about it, and they don't like it at all. To stop it from happening, I've chained the box up and covered it with a blanket. (laughs) And when he opens up the blanket, when he lifts it up, it'll be a magic axe. Surprise, it's gone. Oh, my goodness. Could you imagine if it was gone? And it's in his living room. It's with room. the Roomba. Yeah, it's with the Roomba. It's riding around on the Roomba. And it's it's uh, it's doing its own magic trick. Let's continue with another ghost town full of creepy-sized human dolls. Okay. Or creepy human-sized dolls, rather, which outnumber locals 10 to 1. Oh. Can you imagine a ghost town full good. of creepy dolls? Yeah. I know. Well, actually, I'd probably go visit it just to check it out. Would you bring a shotgun? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I don't think I don't think a shotgun's going to help you. <laughs> <laughs> Just blowing apart dolls. Yeah, unless it's full of like what? What are what do they say? Rock salt or something? Yes, rock salt. Yep, rock salt and holy water. <laughs> That's all you need in that town. For the next Supernatural Brothers. That's oh, right. I'm a girl. But you know what I mean? Siblings. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, you just hold up your fist and go, yo, bro. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Japanese village of Nagoro is on the, or was on the cusp of being abandoned and left as a ghost town. But it's had quite the transformation owing to a range of terrifying human-sized dolls. Yeah. A tiny village on the remote Japanese island of Shikoku which sounds like a game I played at a party once, uh, plays host to hundreds of creepy dolls in a bid to keep the area populated. Oh, so that's why they do it. Hmm. They don't want to be alone. Right. Weird. That's still, that's gross. That is. The dolls have appeared all around the village of Nogoro, including in schools, waiting at bus stops, inside coffee shops, and even at building sites. Okay, that is creepy. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, some people put dolls in the passenger seats to uh, go in the the uh, two lane or whatever it's yeah, called. The yeah, in the uh, the the um, yeah in the, the lane the the seat, yeah the, that you can bypass the other yeah, yeah. schmucks that are only one person in a car. <laughs> on dumb crime, stupid criminals, we had a guy get busted for having a sex doll in that lane. <laughs> yeah, he dressed up as sex doll and put it in his uh, passenger seat. That that was a while ago, though. I think that was a right. few months ago. Yeah. Uh, the doll's creator, Tsunami 
Iono. Uh, based the dolls on actual people who used to live in the village. Oh, okay, I can see that. And it's since become a bit of a tourist hotspot and is known as the Scarecrow Village. Oh, Mally, I have to show you this picture. Hold on. Oh, you're not going to like this. This looks weird. This is the school. Oh, that's really, that's unnerving. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not good. No good. Uh, there's a, I showed Mally a picture of the school with the, the dolls, the human-sized dolls that are sitting in the desks. And there's three dolls to a desk, just to show you, give you an idea of what we're looking at. So the children are replaced by dolls inside a primary school. And there's an actual doll teacher that's standing at the head of the class. And it just looks creepy. Yeah. While people are flocking to spend some time in Nagoro, they still say it's a tad creepy. Uh, Google reviewer Gareth Morris said, equal parts fascinating, touching, and creepy. The Scarecrow Village is an homage to the former residents of this now near-deserted mountain village. The mountain roads make it more than a little hair-raising to get to, though the trip was definitely worth the trouble. See, this isn't as disturbing, although it's weird that they're just sitting outside with their coats on. That's not as creepy as the classroom, right. but it's still... It's still yeah. weird. It's yeah. weird, right? Yeah, just bizarre. Antonio Ezio Frascarelli added the villages, I don't know, a concept between scary, weird, peaceful. You'll see dozens of scarecrows on the way to the village center, placed where normally humans do stuff. An entire room being filled with not people reading, sleeping, or talking amongst each other. The most weird part is the school. Everything is clean and well kept by the locals, but seeing the building with shadows at the windows watching outside and no other sound other than the river and the cicadas is unsettling. Surprised they haven't made a horror movie about that town. Yes. Because that's, I mean, it is creepy. That would be unnerving. Yeah. Yeah. Nagoro was on the brink of becoming a ghost town with just a few dozen people living inside the village. It's now entirely made up of elderly locals, and a baby reportedly hasn't been born in the area for more than 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Okay, this is just weird. This looks like people huddled around waiting for a disaster to happen. Yeah. Isn't that weird? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's just bizarre. Uh, um. Tsunami's dolls started as something small, but have gained since gained a life of their own and outnumber locals by 10 to 1. She told ABC, I've always made dolls as a hobby. I never thought that my hobby would turn out like this. Now that the number of dolls has increased, people from all over the country and even from abroad have come to see them. This town has become very lively. It's because people want to see the freak village <laughs> built. That's why. Well, and if you believe that dolls are vessels, I mean. Yeah. 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 For icky stuff. Yeah. In the village, tourists can find dolls sat at school desks inside the local primary school. A German TV journalist is also spotted waiting for a bus after documenting the village's quirky characteristics some years ago. It was never meant for the dolls to outnumber actual humans, but as the village became busier with tourists, so too did the scarecrows. So she's actually building more people the more that show up. Oh. This is horror movie material. 
So if you for the horror movie, Mel, it's not it's not a huge jump to say if you visit the town, you mysteriously disappear and a doll takes your place. That sounds like a movie that's already happened, though. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. But I can't name the movie. But I mean, it's just unnerving because they're saying it's a it's a it's an island. The town is an island. Mm hmm. And then it's very quiet when you have more do when there are more dolls than there are humans and no one's been born for 20 years. But then on top of it, are you ready for the twist? On top of it, your soul is inside the doll and it's screaming. Telling you, because dolls are vessels. Yep. See, you, nail you nailed it to begin with, with the doll's vessel. But the souls are screaming. And maybe uh, the only way that our, our heroes who show up on the island to think it's a dull, touristy thing, the only way that they, they're able to uh, get away is that the dolls are whispering to them, whispering clues. Ooh. But um, you have to be in cahoots with the guy that drives the ferry because you're going to have less people return. Right. The ferryman. Pay the ferryman <laughs> is the name of the, the movie. <laughs> Or fear the fairy man. No, that doesn't yeah. sound very good. There we scary. go. You and I writing our next screenplay. Well, like we've ever written one. Right. But, <laughs> but we'll, we'll write this one. Yeah. By the way, this shit's trademarked. You don't take yeah. it, people. <laughs> we've already trademarked this by the time it hits the air. <laughs> I'm going to be flipping channels. And like in six months, I'm going to see something on Hulu. I'm like, what the hell? Fear the fairy man. That was our idea. Stolen from <laughs> Darkness Radio. Uh, but that's creepy. I'd still go and visit, though. Yeah, just out sure. of curiosity. Yeah, just see what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, let's move on. We're talking shadow people now. Okay. Yeah. A man terrified after CCTV camera catches a shadow figure who's been watching him at night. Okay, that's creepy. Yeah. A man has taken to social media to share footage of the shadow figure who he claims has been watching him and his family on a night, but not everybody is convinced it's actually a ghost. A man has been urged to leave his house and never return after catching a glimpse at the shadow figure who's been watching his family. Terrified, he shared a video of the shadow figure caught on his motion sensor at night while the family were all asleep. In the five-second clip, a figure glides down the stairs before moving out of shot behind a wall. It appears to be made up of only a face and feet. Okay. Oh, that's creepy. He said on Reddit, my motion sensor normally picks up uh, white orbs, but last night was different. It caught this figure, a shadow, or whatever you want to call it, moving down my stairs. My family and I had a sense of being watched before, but this totally blew my mind. I'm terrified. Please help. What is Reddit going to do? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, sure. We'll be right over. Don't worry. Uh while some users agreed his house is haunted, others believed he edited the footage or there's simply a fault with his camera. Commenting on his video, one user said, this is why I won't put cameras in my house. I know it's likely just a digital anomaly from software compensating for low light, but I prefer to just not have to think about it, LOL. And cameras can get hacked way too easily. Why are That's people... That's true. I, I, I understand being skeptical, but... Why do people? But not? if you see a face and feet, and it's it's the sensors going off, 
I don't know. There, I think there might be something there. That's true. Another user added, I offer no help, but that one is genuinely creepy. It's weird to me to know that we may have genuine evidence of the supernatural, but due to how easy it is to manipulate videos and pictures, we'll probably never know for sure. A third user said, it's clearly someone walking down the stairs and the camera struggling to pick up the lights. That's all, not a ghost. One more user added, you need to leave the house and never return. Oh, that's practical. <laughs> Burn it. Burn it with fire. I'd never sleep there again, is what that user said. A fifth user said, I think it's a malfunction. The lights on top turn on, which makes sense if you're coming down and you can see the person's feet. I think the system is not working right. Let's but if they're not coming down and they're sleeping, you, you know, know what? what I mean? Here's the, uh, let me see if I can get this to play for you, Mally. Hold on. Let me see if I can be able to see it. Um, I think I saw something that blocked out the, the little dot of light that's showing on the wall. Okay. I tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post this in the description of our show so you guys can see the article and see the video yourselves. When I look at it, I see... Well, it looks like a little shadow move across and block a light, but it's very slick. Yeah. Yeah, it, it very slick, like it might have been edited in. Right. And that's a shame that now you have to have that that thought in the back of your mind. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, to say it's a, a little too slick is yeah. uh, sad. It's sad. Yeah. Um, that's, that's for sure. I don't know how how else to um, to put it, but but yeah, looks very slick, very slick indeed. Let's move on. Let's talk about. Okay, this is going to be a, a creepy story. Okay. A dead Buddhist monk smiles as his body is exhumed two months after being buried. Ooh. Yeah. Now this one has to do with an unsettling image, indeed. A reverend monk. Luang for Pian was exhumed by his followers two months after he died, and when they saw his body, he appeared to be smiling. <laughs> Incredible images show a smiling deceased Buddhist monk being exhumed by his dedicated followers two months after he died. Reverend monk Luang for Pian died on November 16th, 2017, in Bangkok, Thailand, when he was 92 years old. Originally from Cambodia, Pian spent the majority of his life serving a well-known spiritual and Buddhist guru in Lopburi, which is in central Thailand. When he died, his body was returned to the temple where he served for burial. This week, his followers removed his body from his coffin as part of a traditional Buddhist ceremony, but they were shocked to discover the corpse had barely decayed and he appeared to have a smile on his face. Uh... Ish. Amazingly, Peon appeared to be smiling when his masked followers paraded him through the crowd. Oh, God. Oh, God. That's just awful. <laughs> I have pictures to show you. Uh, oh, great. <laughs> spectators snapped pictures of the incredible moment and shared the photos on social media. Reports said the monks had removed the monk or the said the monks had removed the monk's body in order to fit him with a new clean robe. Uh, his body appeared to or rather his body appeared in a state consistent with somebody who had been dead for no more than 36 hours, local media reported. Uh, Peon's 
peaceful state has been described as a sign that the monk has truly reached nirvana. And we're not talking about Kurt Cobain. Uh, the monk's followers will continue to pray for him until a final resting ceremony is held on the 100th day of his death. All right, Mally, are you ready? Yep. Here. Thanks for the warning. Yeah, I well, hey, <clears throat> I tried warning you. Here is what Monk Peon looks like. He looks happy. He does. Looks <laughs> like he's having a great old time. Wow. He's like, thanks for burying me, you jerks. <laughs> but uh yeah he he doesn't look like he's been in the ground that long uh-uh that's for sure i i you know i don't know what it is lately but i've been getting mortality anxiety do you ever get that um yes okay. and you know what i got it from watching the strangest way i got it i've been watching um sopranos Yes. Yeah. Like binge watching because yeah. I've never I've seen bits and parts, and I binge watch for like a couple weeks, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I just started thinking about death a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's a very violent show, but yeah, and I was getting a little anxiety, like ah, once I die, that's it, you know. Blah. Well, and I I don't get it's it's the transition, and and don't people don't don't think that I I I'm spiritually inept or spiritually deprived or anything like that it's it's that it's that i'm no longer on this plane and i feel like yeah. maybe i'm missing out on something you know i'm missing out on not seeing my my nephews and nieces and my adopted daughter and, and i have to talk to you about that mal i don't think i told you okay. about that um but but you know and and not being here for the next generation or not you know and i know that that i've had the people i love go before me but there's also the, am I going to see those people on the other side? And, and right. it's the, like you said, the finality of it all. Yeah. And Unless you believe in reincarnation, but still there's at least a, the finality of this lifetime. Right. And, and there's some beautiful things about the physical world. There really mm -hmm. are. And, and, and I think that, that people don't appreciate the physical world enough. You know, yes. I mean, there's aches and pains. Believe me, I know about the aches and pains. And there are some things that are struggle about this world. But I think people focus on the struggle too much and don't appreciate the beauty of it. Yes. I've been trying lately to like live in the moment yeah. to do a little bit more things outside of my house and just to enjoy the simplicity of certain things. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah. then I also had, you know, I don't want any regrets. And sometimes I have regrets that I didn't have children of my own. And you know what I mean? More to continue the lineage and yeah. just like all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid Sopranos. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and also, I'm now over 50, too. So I'm like, eh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So th there's there's that. Uh, and I think that is. That's that age. It's, it's that age. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. There's that mortality anxiety you know and and it's your parents getting older and and yes you know and and not you know and wanting more time with them and things like that so there's there's that age is exactly what it is but um yeah so that, so with that mortality anxiety you you go and then you start and bruiser and i talk about it every once in a while the bone soup thing think about what's going to happen to your vessel yeah. Um, you know, so the, all of that just kind of piles on and you go, Jesus Christ, I wish I could get that out of my head. So, yep. But every once in a while, it hits you and it 
physically hits you like your body shakes you know you're like yeah i just want to get it out of my head yeah um and and you know the the odds of you you know getting out of this life alive are, are exactly nil <laughs> right <laughs> you know? right yeah so it's um yeah so okay i'll get off the subject because now i'm starting to get it again <laughs> but but yeah, it's 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 one of those things, and I, I guess that's part of the reason I do this show. You know, it's it's good talk therapy, right? It's very good talk therapy, rather than just sitting there by yourself. Because I am sometimes my own worst. I'm my worst enemy. Yeah, yeah, and you can be, you can be, because yep. sometimes there's just too much, too much alone time, and and not enough people who want to talk about it. Yes. Yeah. So in that, there's that. You know, there's that community. And and for that, let me throw this out there. Again, uh, if you're on Facebook, which I know, there's a, I'm like, if you're on Facebook, to the younger people who listen to the show. <laughs> um, but if you're on Facebook, uh, in our Darkness Radio room or in our Darkness Radio Facebook page, there is a chat room. If you want to chat with like-minded people, um, you can join our chat room on the Darkness Radio page. And feel free, please, because there's like-minded people in there that want to talk to you, that talk about all things, not just what we're talking about here, but about cryptids. They talk about ghosts. They talk about all things paranormal. And, you know, there are like-minded people in there that will want to talk to you, you know, and, and we all support each other. So that option is available there for you as well. And they're there 24-7. They're up all night. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> So, and occasionally we get a bot in there. We get some sort of bot that wants to sell us weird stuff. So, we, I try to get rid of them as, as fast as I can. Facebook does not have a good mechanism for getting rid of bots. They just No. Don't. Yeah. So, I don't know. But that's my complaint of the week. Uh, let's continue, Mally. We got, a Bigfoot, okay. we got a Bigfoot story here. Okay. A Bigfoot hunter has found a nine-inch footprint, but skeptics all ask the same question about this. <laughs> I just said nine inch footprint. I think most of us have, um, you know, footprints that are right around that size, don't we? <laughs> uh, posting on a Facebook group for B Bigfoot enthusiasts, Chuck Headley shared images of what appears to be a large print in thick mud in Ritchie County, West Virginia. Chuck Headley was on a Facebook group, Bigfoot Believers and a number of images showcasing what looked like an outline of a rather large foot in thick mud. The mysterious print, which was spotted in Ritchie County, West Virginia, had the outline of five stumpy toes and seemed to show that the beast had strolled out of a small body of water. To authenticate the images, the social media user added a tape measure across the footprint, showing how big it was in size. While the images were somewhat convincing, the skeptics were still cynical as they all asked the same thing. Why only one print? One user said, why is there always one footprint? What? Bigfoot only hops on one foot and then lands a mile away. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. That is true. You never see like several of them, like a path of. Yeah, he, do he doesn't have like little pitter patter or, you know, he doesn't take tiny steps. Yeah, it's not playing hopscotch. Right. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Another user added, LOL, why always one print? One step and then fly? <laughs> A third, Daniel Whitaker, said, and yet again I ask, why is it only one footprint is found? Chuck isn't the first person to show evidence, quote-unquote, of the Sasquatch online, 
and he certainly won't be the last. Many enthusiasts of the subject haven't, or rather have offered, various forms of dubious evidence to prove Bigfoot's existence, including video and audio recordings, hair samples, and casts of large footprints. The world's fascination with Bigfoot seemed to kick off back in 1967 when eerie footage was captured in the Six Rivers National Forest in what is known as the Patterson-Gimlin footage. A hairy beast was seen moving through the woods in a three-minute grainy clip by adventurers Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin. It was reportedly the first time Bigfoot was ever filmed. However, expert consensus is that allegations of the existence of Bigfoot are not credible. Belief in the existence of such a large ape-like creature is more often thought to be a hoax or confusion rather than sightings of a genuine creature. With that being said, Mel, why is it that we don't see two feet? You know, and I've never thought about that. I've it, That idea has never crossed my mind, but now that it's been presented to me, I'm forever going to think that. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the other one? I... It's a good question. I, you know, I. I mean, have you ever thought about it? Why why is there only one? I have, I have, I have, I have. Seemingly, no idea. I, I don't know. I don't know. I should ask one of those guys that are on that TV show, Finding Bigfoot. That's right. We got to get be like, why is there only one? We got to get BRFO on the on the program and find out Mm -hmm. uh, find out why. It's a it's a very good question indeed. One more story here, and then we'll, we'll review Ziggy's picks real quick. This having to do with time travel. You know, we're always seeing photographs of supposed time travelers. Uh-huh. And they're, they're uh, amazing mobile phones that are seen in different photographs. This one is no exception. A time traveler using a mobile phone is spotted in a 1940s photograph of beachgoers. The image is in a beach shot taken in Cornwall in the 1940s. Eagle-eyed social media users are convinced that a time traveler has turned up in a 1940s beach uh, picture. The man is in a scruffy brown suit and can clearly be seen in the middle of a wartime photo peering into what appears to be a mobile phone. Around him are dozens of sun-loving beachgoers soaking up the last of the summer rays in September of 1943. The image was taken on, I believe this is Towen Beach, Cornwall and posted online by Stuart Humphreys, who initially didn't spot the decade Dodger, it says here. He tweeted, British war workers escaped to the seaside. This Cornish beach was photographed in September of 1943. It would be lovely if one of you were able to identify which beach, but as soon as he posted the seaside shot, Twitter users pointed out that it had a very unusual scene among the rolled-up trousers, Panama hats, and deck chairs. Getting the date wrong, South London History replied, er, is it just me, or is this guy checking his phone in the 1950s? Dr. Kevin Purcell added, good catch. It's clearly the man in the shot. It's clearly, this doesn't make sense. It's clearly the man in the shot is a time-traveling tourist checking his mobile device. Finally, the evidence we need that time travel is real. We now see things in old photos that we missed before, but now we know their phones now that we have them. Uh, Gerald Jackson added, shows how much beachwear has changed. Jacket, tie, and hat. Mind that they did that when I was a kid in the 50s, but Mr. Humphreys wasn't convinced, saying, I think that chap is rolling a cigarette. It's not the first time eagle-eyed photo buffs have spotted 
creepily modern devices in grainy old photos and film footage. In 2010, a cell phone user was caught on an old Charlie Chaplin film and dubbed a time traveler by those who watched it. George Clark, a Belfast filmmaker, saw the eerie sight and posted the clip to YouTube. It shows a short clip from DVD extras included with Chaplin's 1928 silent film, The Circus. But looking closely, it appears a woman walks past nattering into a phone glued to her ear. Others later claimed it was a portable hearing aid, although it seems unlikely. More than 80 years ago, Umberto Romano uh, painted Mr. Pynchon in the setting of Springfield, which shows a 17th century meeting between Native Americans and English settlers in Massachusetts. But it also seems to show a man naked from the waist up holding a flip phone. And Apple CEO Tim Cook once admitted to seeing an iPhone in a 347-year-old work by Pieter de Hooch called Man Hands a Letter to a Woman in a Hall. Cook saw a Dutch master's piece at a museum in Amsterdam and was shocked. He said in an interview, I always thought I knew when the iPhone was invented, but now I'm not so sure anymore. Let me see if I can zoom in on where this man in the photo is holding. Ah, here it is. Let me, let me see if I can tighten in on this here without it getting too out of control here, Mally. Here's the man they say supposedly is checking his phone. Now, does that look to you well, like... I just see him looking down at something, but I can't tell if it's a phone or not. Right. Now, he could be rolling a cigarette, right? Yeah. I mean, I could see that. Right. It, you don't know if he's checking his phone or rolling a cigarette. Right. It could be either or. Hmm. So, it's, it's, a little, it's a little suspect. That's for yeah. sure. Because it's, it, his hands are very close together. It, it could be one or the other. Yeah, but yeah, I could see where people would think it's checking his phone, but I don't know. Uh, folks, it's time now for us to check Ziggy's picks. Again, you can you can see the individual breakdown of Ziggy's picks by going to darknessradio.com, clicking on Ziggy's picks, and seeing how each one of us did during the week. Of course, it's man versus beast here. We have two dogs, uh, Ziggy and Talia, our psychic pooches that pick each week and we pick all 16 games on the sl on the slate this week uh, there were 16 games or however many games are on nfl games are on the slate for the week uh, bruiser and i of course make picks as well so it is uh, literally research versus psychic picks and the dogs of course get two helmets held up in front of them and they just pick the one they feel is uh is appropriate mally whichever one okay. they're feeling so and, of course, the pooches get treats. Oh, nice. Yeah. So they're well rewarded for their, for their uh, actions and their picks. So, Mally, this week was interesting. One of our dogs did extremely well. One of our dogs not so well. Okay. And uh, the two humans in the deal did pretty well. Bruiser uh, came in at 10 and 6 out of 16 picks this week. I came in at 13 and 3. Wow. Yeah, I had a good week. But I did not have as good of a week. First, we should tell you, Talia had a little bit of a slip this week and went 6 and 10. Okay. Normally, Talia is very good. Talia is a very good picker. Um, but this week, and a very good psychic pooch. But this week, Talia had an off week, which um, we'll find out why from Bruiser next week. But, uh, but this week, Ziggy was on fire. Ziggy went 14 and 2. Wow. I That's don't, impressive. I don't know what's in the dog food over there. 
at the Bruiser compound, but Ziggy went 14 and two. So overall, here are the percentages. We've picked 178 games this year, Mally. Okay. So far this year, Ziggy is 178 and a 562 pick percentage. Okay. Now keep in mind the the Ryan Institute says that you have to have a 700 pick percentage to be or seven out of ten to okay. be considered psychic. So that's not bad. Uh uh-uh. uh For a dog to pick 562. Right. Right. A dog picking football games at 562 is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Talia is at a 539 percentage so far, 96 and 82 out of 178 games. Uh, Bruiser is at a 616 pick percentage at 106 and 72. Yours truly is at a 618 percentage and uh, leads the pack so far, 110 and 68. Look at you. It's luck. <laughs> I keep telling people I'm going to slip so far. I'm going to slip. But uh, yeah. if I if I reach 700 this year, I'm taking it on the road. I'm calling myself psychic. <laughs> there you go. Yep. If I reach a 700 uh, percentage, um, I'm calling myself psychic and me and Uncle Chip are going out on the road and doing readings. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Our final story today, Mally. Is uh, is one that was uh, sent in by a listener, and uh, we'll 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 end on an up note. How does that sound? That sounds wonderful. All right, uh, has to do with a Sydney man building a backyard magpie god scarecrow, which has gone viral. Okay. <laughs> I guess we all worship our gods. We all have our gods. This one is a backyard experiment to deter magpies, and it's taken an unexpected turn. It's transforming a homemade scarecrow into a viral sensation. In the suburbs of Western Sydney, I believe this is Julio Kazia, uh, embarked on a mission to thwart magpies from stealing his cat's kibble. Crafting a homemade owl scarecrow seemed like a reasonable solution until the bird's unexpected response turned it into a viral sensation, which was first covered by Yahoo. Mr. Kazia's uh, video of magpies seemingly worshipping the peculiar effigy has garnered over 3.7 million views on TikTok. See, this I need to make videos like this. Yeah, you do. Uh, sparking a mix of fascination and humor. Initially deterred by the makeshift owl, the magpies grew increasingly curious, eventually treating it as a revered figure or some kind of magpie god. (laughs) It's a a biblical... Let me try that again. It's a biblically accurate magpie, one user commented on TikTok. It kind of looks like a... Is it a Kahulu? Chithulu? How do you pronounce that? I have no idea what you're trying to say. You know the C-T-H-U-L-U Cthulhu? I how do you pronounce do that know. sea creature? I don't know. Somebody will, yeah. It kind of looks like that uh, mythical sea creature magpie. <laughs> said enough. <laughs> you know, the Lovecraftian uh, character. Cthulhu? I don't know. Somebody will, somebody will correct me. 
I can never say its name. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Somebody will correct me. Uh, comparing it to some Lovecraftian horror alongside others ready to bow down and chant, all hail the great magpie god. <laughs> Either way, Julio Kazia, I'll say his name eventually too, uh, the unintentional creator of the magpie god, took the viral attention in his stride, even lightheartedly acknowledging the owl's less than accurate resemblance. I now know it doesn't really look like an owl, but a dead cat, rather. Oh, God. <laughs> he joked in response to his video. Despite its comical appearance, the paper bird stood tall until a storm eventually dismantled it. Aw. I'll show you a picture of this thing in a second, Mally. Okay. <laughs> Emeritus Professor uh, Gisela Kaplan a renowned magpie expert revealed that their behavior was a territorial call, not some ancient avian worshiping ceremony. The peculiar sound captured in the video indicated the magpie's claim of ownership over the territory where the paper bird stood. So in other words, they were just like, mine, 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 mine. It does look like a cat, kind of. Doesn't it? It doesn't look <laughs> yeah. like a magpie at all. <laughs> this guy has an, has, a, has an eye for cats. While the video primarily focuses on the magpie's antics, BirdLife Australia spokesperson Sean Dooley uh, pointed out two critical aspects. Firstly, feeding would have been a better outcome for the cat because it's safer out indoors, but it's also a far better outcome for wildlife. Even though people say my cat is fed so it will be fine, it doesn't matter how much you feed a cat, the instinct uh, to hunt will still override that and it will kill for the sake of it. Uh, despite locating down the street since then, Mr. Kazia found that the magpies, along with their appetite, continued to track him. Although initially engaged in a feud with the birds, he has since developed a fondness for them. Oh, they're getting along now, Mally. <laughs> Reflecting on their charming nature and amusing behaviors, Mr. Kazia said, when you observe their antics, you can't help but find them quite cute. We even named one of their babies Ricky. Aw. Ricky the magpie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was a happy ending after all. That'll do it for Supernatural News and Parish Air today. Just goes to show that your magpie god is only a cat. <laughs> <laughs> so don't get all wound up about anything in life. Mally, what you got going on in your world? Uh, nothing much. Getting ready for the next holiday. Uh, yes, Christmas is around the corner. Yes. Mm-hmm. I try to hold out as long as possible celebrating Christmas. I like to try and celebrate every holiday. Ah, yes. So, yes. Um, How about you? Well, this weekend, thank you for mentioning this weekend. Oh, you've got paranormalgirl.com, the website. Uh, people yes, can, yes. can go there and check out uh, all the new and exciting things on paranormalgirl.com. I, myself, if you go to darknessradioshow.com, if you go to the event section there on darknessradioshow.com, we'll see that I am out in Shoreview this weekend. And I am at an event. I'll be oh, fun. Uh, yeah, I'm hanging out this weekend. Uh, from 10 to 5 this weekend, I'll be out in Shoreview for the Enchanted Expo with a Twist Winter Wonderland event. Uh, $5 admission out there. Myself and Jessica Freeberg will be out there as guests of honor and we'll be speaking as well. Lots of um, lots of Vendors, healers, readers, paranormal vendors will be out there as well. Uh, Cherie Meyer is out there as well, psychic medium, Reiki master, and is doing a gallery reading out there. Uh, Randy Hoyt, 
art intuitive artist is out there as well. Uh, she's the owner of Randy Hoyt Studios is out there as well. Go to darknessradioshow.com, the events tab. You'll have, a, you'll have a link there to enchantedawakenings.net so you can see the entire list of speakers that day. I'll be doing an EVP talk right away in the morning at 10. So That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, come on out, say hi to myself and Jess, and uh, that's going on this weekend. So Very cool. Yes, indeed. So that will do it for today for Supernatural News. Uh, tomorrow on the big show... And uh, the big show, indeed, we have uh, a very special guest on with us tomorrow. Nicole Magic is on the program. And we will be talking about some uh, interesting things, about, including a near-death experience. Speaking of, of the whole... Yeah. <laughs> the whole, so you're going to be thinking about this topic for a couple of days. Yeah, the anxiety <laughs> thing. Yeah, we'll yeah. be going through my head a little bit. Uh, tomorrow, uh, we'll we'll talk about that. I think with Nicole Magic tomorrow, the anxiety thing will come up. I'm sure tomorrow, um, we'll talk about a near death experience that she had. We'll talk about a car incident with a quantum leap that gets in there as well. We'll talk about seeing auras, energy, um, including there's a mercury poisoning thing. There's alchemy involved in in tomorrow's show as well. And we'll talk a little bit about money personalities and attracting okay. money. So there's there's all kinds of things. Manifestation will be involved as well tomorrow. We'll kind of be a little bit all over the board tomorrow, Mally. And uh, we'll talk about some things that you may be interested in as we come into the, the holidays, because we all need a little bit of money as we come into the holidays. So, mm-hmm. so all of that tomorrow with Nicole Magic. That's, uh, that's coming up tomorrow on The Big Show. So, for Mally Fox, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for joining us today on the big program. Again, uh, to get your Parashare stories into us, you just write into Tim at darknessradio.com, or you can click on that blue button when you go to darknessradioshow.com, submit a voice note. You'll have two minutes to do so. Uh, if you need more than two minutes, just click on that blue button again. I'll stitch them together. We'll feature your lovely voice here on the show. We'll see you tomorrow for Nicole Magic here on The Best in Paranormal Podcasting. This has been Darkness Radio.